should at least spark some concern. Hey, guys. Not only does he accuse Trump of abusing um, what's going on? Let me admit Ellie Rafkin. <clears throat> hey, Ellie, how are you? Um, okay. Um, hi, Ellie, how are you? Uh, hang on here. Baruch Hashem. Am I in? Very good, Baruch Hashem, you are in. We have David joining us from Chicago. Okay, so I, 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 does everybody, so I, it's, it's the same, it's the same source sheet as, as, as last week, okay? I just added some stuff to it. So if you want the links to the source sheet, you'll be able, you'll be able to find them in, in the chat. Yehuda, you look beautiful. With, with, without the beard. I mean, you look beautiful with, with the beard also, but, but now it's a, it's a you stop shaving soon, right? We're gonna stop shaving in a couple in, in in a week and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I think we have we have the whole band together here. Okay. All right. So, uh, guys, the the source sheets. Um, oh, David's here. Okay, David Evans here. Um, okay. Hi, hi, David. How are you? Um, all the Davids. Okay. So I will. We should have the the source sheet for the Amir Laakum. Should be in the chat. I will should be in our in our in our WhatsApp Ian chat, but I will share it. I will share it in this chat so you guys can all follow along, okay? And then I am going to share my screen, so it should be there too, okay? So Isn't let me a public uh, source sheet on your Safari page. It should. So I'm not sure if I shared it. So I'm trying to see. Uh, I'm making public right now. Okay, now it's public. Um, I, I have a link, so I will share the link in our chat right now. Um, the link is here, okay? You guys can kind of look at it there. And then to make everything even easier, I am going to log in from Safari on my desktop and then just share it on my desktop. And this way, no one has an excuse not to follow along. Okay. Um, the one from last month, man. It's the same one from last one. Yeah, I just added a few sources because we're gonna, <coughs> we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna move into the tour now. If everyone doesn't mind, I'm gonna mute everybody, and then if you have a question or whatever, just unmute yourself and ask. Okay. Um, I will allow participants to unmute themselves. Okay, here we go. Okay, so everybody is muted. Um, feel free to unmute yourselves if you have a question. Um, I am just going to. Um, Join over here. I'm sorry. Open Zoom meetings here. Okay, I am gonna. I have to let myself let myself in. Um, I make myself host. That is the issue. Um, there should be two of me. Yeah, it is me. Okay, more. Make host. Yes, I want to make host. Okay, perfect. Okay, share screen. Make sure that you guys can't see all the other, all the other interesting screens I have. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, uh, sheets. David, are you back in Stony Brook? No, I'm in Chicago. Ah. Okay. Um, let us, here we go. Source sheet, perfect. Um, 
share. Okay, here we go. Um, make this easier. Okay, so Frankenstein is gonna be one second. I there has been a uh, there is a um, there are some protests happening in the Agassiz household. I, let me just let me just bring that away here. You know, give me a second. All right, sorry about that. Let's let's get started. So 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 let's uh, review from last week where we're up to. So we were talking about the question about a non-Jew doing doing labor for you on Shabbos, right? And the issue was, right? What happens if this non-Jew, right? He doesn't ask you, right? It's not right, we are not yet talking about the case where where he asks you. We are talking about a situation where um, where you are voluntarily doing it, doing it on Shabbos. Well, sorry, where he does it for you on Shabbos. He doesn't ask you. He just does it for you, right? The Mishnah brought three cases. The Mishnah brought the case where a non-Jew lights a candle for you. Then the Mishnah brought a case where the non-Jew draws water for his animal. And the question is if you are allowed to benefit from the water afterwards. And the third case was where the non-Jew made a ramp to build a ramp to leave a ship, and um, whether or not you are allowed to enjoy it afterwards or not. And the Mishnah ended off with uh, the story of Rabban Gamliel and the Zikanim that the non-Jew built a ramp and they and they went down. Okay. The Gemara then went to talk about why do we need each one of the three cases. The Gemara said that by a candle, there is the possibility that we have the concept of ner le'echad, ner le'meya. That, you know, the same way a candle lights for one person, it could light for a hundred people. Therefore, we shouldn't, you know, we, 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 we it, it, it's, it's, you know, if a non-Jew does it for you, it, he's not really doing anything extra to what he would be doing for himself or for anybody else. So maybe that wouldn't be a problem. The Gemara says it's an issue. Then the Gemara says, okay, then why do I need the case of drawing water? So the Gemara says, maybe I would think, you know, even if the non-Jew is just drawing water for his own animal, right, maybe I should be concerned that if he sees me there, he's going to draw more water for me, causing greater Chal Shabbos. And the Gemara said that, you know, we don't, that, that, that um, and we'll see what the caveats are, but generally speaking, we're not concerned about this. And the third final case, right, which we, which we needed, is in order to teach us that we have an explicit source for the case of a ramp, and that was what the story of Rabban Gamliel was about. Okay, so then the Gemara brought a Gemara about about brought a Bryce, I'm sorry, about collecting grass on Shabbos, 
and about a non-Jew, you know, you know, sorry, if a non-Jew collects grass for himself on Shabbos and for the Jew eating the leftovers. And the Gemara states explicitly what was implicit before this halacha, this halacha, that um, it has to be specifically if it is makiroi, right? If the person recognizes. First of all, I want to just make a quick announcement. A chassan has entered the class. So everyone wish Akiva a special mazel tov. His wedding is this coming Sunday. Uh, whoever wants to join it on Zoom, Akiva will let you know if you can. I should not have invited everybody. But um, but but we are very excited for him and Lega to build a bias Naman on Yisrael this coming Sunday. Thank you, thank you, so, thank you. Akiva. Okay. So um, the halacha is as follows. So then the Gemara says, so that's right. The Gemara talks about the concept of makirai. Makirai means that if the non-Jew knows you, then if he kind of has a relationship with you, it is forbidden to benefit from, from something he does in front of you. And um, if he doesn't know you, then it is fine. So then the Gemara says, okay, what about, the, you know, talks about the question of muktza, whatever, and the Gemara resolves muktza. okay? So then the Gemara brings in another idea that what is the concept of makirai? The Gemara says that makirai is only going to be an issue, the situation where the non-Jew knows you is only a problem if you are standing there. But if you are not standing there, it's not, it's not a problem, okay? That was the view of, of, um, uh, um, of Abaya. Okay, so Abai, because the, what the Gemara's issue was, was that the case of Rabban Gamliel, the Gemara made an assumption that since Rabban Gamliel was such a charismatic, pleasant fellow, rabbinical fellow, and everybody knows that everybody likes the rabbi, so therefore, um, Rabban Gamliel must have been Makira, he must have had a relationship with all the non-Jews on the ship. Therefore, when the non-Jew built the ramp, so it must have been that Rabban Gamliel was a Makiroi, so how is Rabban Gamliel allowed to use the ramp on Shabbos? So to this, the Gemara brings two answers, brings the opinion of Abaya and the opinion of Rava. And the opinion of Abaya is that Rabban Gamliel was not there when the ramp was built. This is the first um, kind of leniency, right, that even if the non-Jew knows you and is friendly with you, and we have reason to assume that he's doing it for your good, right, this will only be a problem in a case where you are there. But if you are not there, then we assume he didn't do it for you. Rava says a different explanation. Rava says that Makira is only a problem where we say where the non-Jew could add for you, right? Like the case of the grass or the case of the water, right? Or we're going to talk about later the case of a barn fire in the, in the tour, right? That if the non-Jew, if, if if you know, if if the more people there are, the more is needed, right? But by a case of the candle or the case of the ramp, there just had to be one ramp. So Rava says Makira is only a problem where we're concerned that he's going to add more to you. But if he's not going to add, then we say Ner Echad Ner Lemeya is a leniency, right? So here, so we right now we have three kind of catchphrases that we have to remember, okay? The first catchphrase is the concept of na'aseh b'shvilai, right? The non-Jew doing something on your behalf, okay? That's going to cause problems for you. Then there is a concept of makiroi, the non-Jew knowing you and being friendly with you, right? Then over there, there is a implicit assumption that if he knows you, he does it on your behalf, right? 
And on Makiroi, there are two caveats. There's the caveat of Abaya that says Makiroi is only a problem, right, where it's not in front of you. Right, sorry, where, where you are standing there. But if you're not standing there, it's not a problem. And there's the caveat of Rava that says that Makira is only, is, is, is only a problem if it's something where the non-Jew would have to add extra Chil Shabbos for your sake, as opposed to a case of a candle or a ramp where you have Ner Le'echad, Ner Le'mea, Makira is not going to be a issue. We don't know that Rava does not agree with Abaya. We don't know that. We do know that Abaya does not agree with Rava. And, okay, you can lie down here, sure. Right? Noah's here already also, so you can join the whole, I'm having this, the family is joining us for, for sleeping here. Um, so, right, the, so Abaya, so Abaya, we know, how do we, so I, I, I just made an assumption, but I want to kind of, you know, point out in the Gemara where we see that, that my assumption is, 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 I think is correct, okay? Why does Rava, how do we, why, why am I saying that we don't know that Rava does not agree with Abaya, but we do know that Abaya doesn't agree with Rava? So the reason why I'm making this claim is because Abaya said, in order for us to be able to answer and resolve the question from the case of Rabban Gamliel, we have to assume that Rabban Gamliel was not there, okay? That assumption in Gemara language is called a ukimta. Ukimta means that you are assuming something about the case, that you are assuming that because, you know, you know, in order for XYZ not to be a problem, you have to assume that the story or that the reality was a certain way. That is not an ideal resolution because, again, you're building, you, you are predicating a Mishnah that didn't state this context. You are assuming this context in order to resolve a problem. Rava's resolution does not rely on any such assumptions. Rava's resolution is simply because Ner Le'echad, Ner Le'meya takes away the problem of Makiroi. The fact that the... Um, the the ramp was you know a one you something which everyone used uh, the same thing takes away the problem of makira. Therefore, Rava does not require to make any assumptions. Okay, so therefore, it is possible that Rava could agree with Abaya that if Rabban Gamliel was not there, right, or if someone is not near the non-Jew, right, it would be okay for them to eat the grass or uh, whatever it is. Because he wasn't there. We don't know that Rava does not agree to the reasoning of Shalai Bifada. But what we do know is that Abaya would never push himself into a corner and make a ukimta and decide that reality was a certain way unless Abaya did not, was not able to answer like Rava. Okay? So therefore, it's possible that Rava agrees with Abaya. He just has a better answer. And it would be very difficult to say that Abaya could agree with Rava because Abaya is pressed into the corner where he needs to make his own assumption and kind of, you know, parameterize the story or kind of try to make assumptions about the story, which is never a good thing to do. Okay? Then the Gemara asked a few different questions. The Gemara talked about the case of a bathhouse, and the Gemara talked about the case of a party, right? And in all those cases, the Gemara established a very important principle, adaita derubakai, right? That if you have Jews and non-Jews eating together, and a non-Jew does something, 
turning on a light, heating up the water, then we assume that he is doing it for the majority of the room. Okay? That he is doing it for the majority of the room. However, we did see from the story of Shmuel at the very end of the Gemara, right, that Shmuel Ikli, right, the Gemara relates of Shmuel by the case of uh, Be'aven, where the non-Jew lit a lamp, right? And in such a case, we said that Shmuel first turned away because it was majority Jews, but then Shmuel started to use the light as soon as he saw that the non-Jew started to read. Therefore, since it was explicit that the non-Jew lit the light for his own benefit, then it was okay, even though there were majority Jews in the room. The problem is when there is no explicit sign. The non-Jew lights it for everybody, and there are majority Jews, or you know, and then in such a case, it is a problem. Okay, that was the Gemara that we saw last week. What have an influence if the non-Jew understands some of the laws of Shabbos? Um, so as of now, no, because as of now, right, it's about kind of actual reality, right? I mean, to say, why did he do it? And therefore, you know, if, you know, if he, whether or not he understands the law, the question is really the motivation why he turned on the light. Where it will make a difference about him understanding the law, which we're going to get to, you know, in a later class, is going to be by the stories of hinting to him, okay? But what's important now to recognize is, is that, we, kind of our whole lives, think about the Shabbos guy, right? This idea of, you know, non-Jew, you can hint him. Uh, you can kind of go tell him whatever you want, as long as you hint and he does it for you, it's okay, okay? We have just extremely strictly limited what a non-Jew can do on Shabbos, okay? Meaning to say, no matter how good your hinting is, it doesn't make a difference. If he did it for you, it's a problem. Therefore, the permissibility of hints and that whole topic, as we're going to see later, is a very, very narrow thing. And it's only going to be relevant in situations where the issue of benefiting from the work of a non-Jew, from the work of desecration of Shabbos, is not going to be a problem. Okay, but this is something which we're going to see later is extremely limited, and we already see that it's very limited. Okay, so, Rabbi, can I ask you a quick question? So, we had this issue with um, the old room in the union, right? So, we come to Shul and the, and the light is off, right? Yeah, so we start davening in the dark. And then, and then the personnel that actually was supposed to turn on the light before Shabbat comes by and turns on the light. Okay, that's, uh, very, that's a very good question. And the, the short answer is, is that it's a problem. However, the long answer is, is that it's permitted. <laughs> and the, the reason why I'm being a pain in the neck is to say all the information that we have now will say that that is forbidden, right? It seems very clear cut. However, we just started learning. Okay, so we're going to get we're going to learn more information and we're going to see that there are reasons why that case was okay. But you're right. As of now, from what you have learned, you should paskin unequivocally that that's Asr. I'm not saying it is Asr. I'm just saying from what we have learned so far, that should be your conclusion. Okay. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. So what constitutes like how we know who's whose benefit was intended by the non-Jew. So, for example, if the non-Jew opens his book and starts reading, right, okay, he's benefiting from the light, so we can sort of 
Mm-hmm. But then we go and ask him, we say, why did you turn on the light? And he's like, well, I saw these people who are in the dark, like all these Jews in the dark. And so I turned the light on and I happened to have a book. So I sat down to read. Right. So that's a very good question. The answer is that explicit always beats implicit. Okay. So therefore, if he's explicitly saying, you know, I saw you poor Shlomazel forgot to turn on uh, the light before Shabbos and therefore I'm turning it on. And, you know, happens to be you guys have some nice schnapps and herring. So I'm going to sit here and, you know, read. Fine. Then that's a problem. Right. You know, generally speaking, Smart people don't ask too many questions, okay? So, so therefore, you know, as long as you have a right to assume he did it for himself, you know, don't ask questions you don't like answers to. But no, I'm being, I'm being, you know, a little bit cynical. But, but you know, yeah. That, but, but you're right. Explicit always beats implicit. What we're talking about here is implicit assumptions, okay? You know, if like the non-Jew who knows you is drawing water. Right. And then, you know, he turns around and he sees you and he says, you know, you piece of garbage, you stole all my yogurts in the fridge last week. Don't you dare touch this grass. Right. Then you may transgress the prohibition of stealing, but you're not going to transgress the prohibition of Amir Lakam because he didn't do it for you. OK, so therefore, ex- well, when he's drawing the water, I'm stealing his grass. But I, I get the point. Whatever, you know, you know, cases getting get confused. <laughs> All right, so so let's move on. So we now I want to I, I want to um, 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 so we're gonna skip we're gonna skip Rashi, and we're gonna go to to uh, to the um, uh, the tour. Okay, um, the tour says as follows. So if you follow over here, right, tour Archaim. So it's funny you'll notice that 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 it's really supposed to be Reish Ayin Vav, right? But they scramble the letters. Ayin Reish Vav, in order to avoid spelling the word Ra, which is bad, evil. So you'll see this very often in Jewish books that certain words, certain kind of chapter headings, you know, based on the letters, are switched. Like, for example, sometimes you'll see that chapter Yud Ches is actually written Ches Yud for Chai, right? Or you'll see, you know, sometimes you'll have, you know, uh, uh, shin, you know, if it's a very kind of advanced chapter book, you'll see shin, you know, shin tof nun. They'll scramble it, say shin spell satan, you know, whatever. So my point is, this, is that you'll 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 you'll, you'll see this in different places. Okay. Um, oh yeah, tezvav tezayin, right? That's true. To avoid spelling out the name of God, as David pointed out. Yeah. Okay. Now, Akum Shezo, so now we're going to, right, right, we are going to the tour. We are going to start talking about Halachalamaisa. Akum Shehidlikis Haner Litzarcha. If you have a non Jew who lit a candle for his own needs, I, and here the tour is throwing something in which we didn't see explicitly yet. We're going to see it, you know, later in Gemara, but as of now, we haven't seen it yet. I Litzarich Chayla Shein Baisakana, right? Or if the non-Jew lit a light for a ill person who's not in danger. Now, the reason why we have to say the case of not in danger is to say because, and we're going to see this later, that Amir al-Akam, asking a non-Jew to do work for you on Shabbos, it is permissible to do for somebody who is ill. It doesn't have to be life-threatening. If someone is ill, right, then you are allowed to ask a non-Jew to do work for you on Shabbos for that person. We're going to discuss the parameters of it later. It's very relevant for a lot of things. It's going to be relevant for air conditioning in the summer. It's going to be relevant for turning on the light or turning off the light in, in, in a child's room. 
it's going to be relevant for many other halachas that we're going to bump into. But as of now, take it, take it as gospel. So the, he lights a candle for the sake of a, either for his sake or for the sake of somebody who's ill. Yachol Yisrael lehishtamesh the Jew is allowed to benefit from the light. Ve'im bishvil Yisrael, but if he did it for the sake of a Jew, aser lakal, it is forbidden for everyone, meaning not just for that specific Abramchik, right, who, who he lit it for, but it is forbidden for all. Okay, for all Jews. Even for the Jew who the non-Jew never intended to light it for. But if he made a fire for his own needs, or for the sake of an ill person who is not in danger, it is forbidden for him to sit and warm himself by the fire, Shema Yarbe Bishvila. Maybe the non-Jew will add wood for his sake. So the tour just brought two cases that have two different laws. Case number one is the case of a candle, the case of a light. And the idea is, is that when you have a candle, the non-Jew is not going to light more candles in the room because you happen to be sitting there. One candle is enough for him, it's enough for you because of the idea of ner echot ner lemea. However, if the non-Jew made a barn fire, right, a campfire, and he's sitting next to it, and more people come, whether this means because the radius will have to get bigger around the fire, or for whatever reason, the idea is, is that we're concerned that he's going to start adding more firewood in order to warm everybody up more, right? Could be if it's just him, he could sit closer to the fire, but if it's more people, he wants to spread it out, whatever it is. So there's a concern that he's going to add more. Therefore, by the case of a fire, you cannot go sit next to him when he's making the fire in order for him to not have to increase it. Now, where is this relevant? This is relevant to us maybe by the case of ear conditioning, okay? You walk into a room, the more people in the room, the more power you need for the AC, right? So therefore, there could be an issue, and we're going to talk about air conditioning later. It's going to be very relevant. It's one of the most practical cases when Amir Lakam comes up. But from what we're seeing, there could be an issue walking into a room, right, because there may be a problem of the non-Jew having to do more for you. Another case is, if you do not live in an apartment building, getting newspaper delivery on Shabbos could be an issue, right? Because if the non-Jew has to do more work for your sake, drive to your house, drop it off, whatever, right? That could be an issue. We're going to get to newspaper deliveries as well later on, okay? Fine. Then, new case. Yisrael ve'akam shehesibu yachat. A Jew and a non-Jew are having a meal together. Vehidlik akum haner, and a non-Jew lit a candle. Im harov akum, if the majority of the group over there are non-Jewish, muter lehishtamesh la'oro, it is permissible to benefit from the light. Shalitzayrech harov hidlik, because he lit for the needs of the majority. Now, it does not mean that if we ask him or if we do some kind of fMRI scan on him, we're going to find out that this was indeed his intention. But the idea is, is that he did it for the people in the room. Who defines what the people in the room are? The majority. Okay? So meaning to say, it's, it's kind of, it's not a way of really interpreting his intention. It's, it's, it's by saying a intention for the group is a intention for the majority of the group. 
Okay, they are the ones who define the identity of the group. Okay, so I have two questions, David. Yeah, one is well, we keep saying Akum here. Does that mean the same thing as Goy? Yeah, 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 yeah. So you know, technically speaking, it's referring to a uh, Ovid Kochavim, a, a a idol worshiper, but. This is a much later insertion that was done by censors, by censors, censors, who did it to try to, you know, you know, because they don't like the Jews saying that they can't benefit from non-Jews or whatever it is, right? So therefore, that became kind of a, a right, uh, a way of writing it. But no, it's referring to any non-Jew, and the issue is nothing, nothing to do with the non-Jews. A non-Jew is fully permissible in, in desecrating Shabbos. In fact, it is forbidden for him to keep Shabbos. The problem is, is that we're concerned that if you ask a non-Jew to do it for you, it will start becoming kind of a permissible thing for yourself, and you will eventually come to desecrate Shabbos yourself, right? So that's what was your second question? Second question is, what if you don't know if somebody is Jewish or not, and therefore you don't know what the majority is? That's an excellent, excellent question, and that's extremely relevant, right? Because unless you are of Chabad persuasion, you don't, generally speaking, have the guts or the suave to go over to ask somebody if you're Jewish. Ellie, you have it, but most of us don't, okay? So the halacha is, is that you are allowed to assume the majority. So for example, if you are in Stony Brook and you bump into a regular person, you do not have to assume they're Jewish, no matter how Jewish Long Island is, okay? The, mass, the vast majority of people here are not Jewish, okay? Um, if you are in Israel and you bump into somebody, you have to assume they're Jewish. If you're in Lakewood and the person, you know, looks like a Lakewood guy, right, even if he's not happens to be wearing a yarmulke, but he is talking about his Averos and how much he doesn't go to the mikveh anymore, right, and how proud he is of that, you have to assume he's Jewish, okay? But in America, standard case is you assume, unless that person says they're Jewish, you assume that they're not. I have had truly unpleasant experiences with this. When, when I was in yeshiva, I was, you know, the oldest class there, the, the oldest group on Shabbos, they work in the kitchen, and they call it called kitchen crew. Don't ask me. Somehow in the yeshiva hierarchy and the Lord of the Flies over there, this ends up becoming a privilege because you have first access to food, whatever it is. So, but the point is, is that you know, so we were in the working in the kitchen, and very often, you know, we would have issues, and we would have to ask someone off the street to help us to help us with. Um, oh yeah, David just put put a hilarious song on the chat called uh, it's called the Avera song. After, after, after the class, I would advise you listen to it. It's truly funny. Um, but okay, so so you, some of the jokes may, may be lost on you, but you know a lot of them I think are very self 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 understanding. It's about a boy who's trying very hard to be a uh, to do lots of averos, but he is not a hundred percent sure what averos are. Okay. <laughs> Now, um, okay, I'm sorry, guys. Simcha, you don't belong here right now. Go downstairs and ask mommy what you should do. Okay, you can lie in that bed, but I'm, I'm trying to teach. Okay, thank you. So, so that's that. So, so I, we had very unpleasant stories when, when, you know, so I basically, you know, our, the way our oven worked was, was that if it wasn't shut off before Shabbos, it was one of those industrial ovens that turn off as soon as you open it and turn back when you close it. It was a uh, convection oven. So therefore, all the food was warming up in the oven, so we had to kind of open it and close it so we couldn't do it on Shabbos. So I went out and I found, and I asked one person, two people, three people, you know, everybody, probably very rightfully so, 
felt extremely creeped out walking into a large yeshiva building to go to their kitchen. You know, who knows what Jews are doing to people in their kitchen. So therefore, finally we found a really nice person who came in, opened up the door for us. You know, we gave him, you know, some cake and whatever. And he said, you know, guys, it's a pleasure. It's always nice to help out fellow Jews. And um, <laughs> to which we were slightly horrified and felt really bad. And we invited him to stay for the Shabbos meal. So shockingly, he wasn't interested. And, um, you know, he left. But <laughs> so, so you can assume the majority, but unfortunately, you know, mistakes happen. Um, okay. You allowed to use that oven? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, it was, so that's a good question. So that's a case of shogeg. Right, and it was a shogeg on a dirabanan because it was only a psikresha, whatever. So it was, it was okay. We are going to get to Mice Shabbos is going to come back to haunt us, and we're going to have kind of re revisit that topic later on. Okay, I'm sorry, guys. Guys, guys, this is unacceptable. Please close the door. Um, the indigenous po population has invaded this room. It's supposed to be my office, my my fortress of solitude, but um. Yeah, I don't have rights. Okay, so so let's move on. So it says as follows. So so again, so by the case, so you go after majority. Vim roiv Yisrael afilu mechzu mechzu Yisrael aser. Right, it is forbidden. You know, even if it's only fifty-fifty, right, Jewish, it is forbidden. Ella imkay. Now here is where the story of Shmuel comes up. Yesh haychacha shalatzerech akam madlika. We have proof or some kind of indication that he lit it for the sake of a non-Jew. Now, here comes a very important halacha that's going to be very relevant if you have any household help, right? Non-Jewish household help, a cleaning help, or whatever it is, who's working with you on Shabbos. And I'm saying help as opposed to roommates, and we're going to see why in a second. If you tell your servant or your maidservant, Lelech imai to go with you, vehedlika yeshaner, and they turn on the light. even though they also needed it. So, for example, you want to bring up some packages from the basement, and you say, oh, you ask your kind of non-Jewish worker to, and this, and this is important to to make this distinction. I'll explain why. Right. And you ask your non-Jewish servant to help you bring carry things up, even though they are turning on the light to make their job easier so that they can see the packages. This is called Litzorech Yisrael. It is still called a, for the sake of a Jew. Even though they also needed it. This is not considered to be for the needs of the non-Jew. Since the primary mission, the primary purpose here was for the sake of the Jew, right? Meaning, if it was you and your roommate who decided that you wanted to bring up something from the basement and the roommate turned on the light, then he has no obligation to help you. So if he's turning on the light, the purpose of the mission is, you know, you're both kind of have, you're both equally invested in it. Therefore, it's okay. But uh, the servant, right, or the maid servant, they're only doing it because they have to listen to you, and therefore the iker hatzorech is litzorech Yisrael. They're only doing it for the sake of a Jew, and therefore it's a problem. Vim yesh ner bebeis Yisrael. Here's another very important halacha. 
If you have a light, a candle in the house of a Jew, so you had a candle. And Vlad, this goes to your question about the dim light, okay? You have a, a, a light, it's a little bit dim, right? But you have a light there. And the non-Jew came and lit another one. It is permissible to derive benefit from the light. Because even without this, there was a candle there. Meaning, he did not enable you to do anything that you weren't able to do before. And we're going to talk, you may have the question about what if it was sun, what if there was some ambient light in the room from the stars or from the sun, and we're going to get there. It's going to be an interesting question. Okay? But as of now, we're talking about where there was another light, right? Because even without that, there was a candle. But after he puts out the light, after the first light goes out, so in the case of a candle, right? The first light goes out, meaning, even though in the beginning when he lit the second candle, it was permissible for you to derive benefit from it because you it was only adding light, as soon as the first light goes out, the second light now becomes the sole thing enabling you to read or whatever it is, then it becomes prohibited for you to benefit from it. Also, if he adds oil to ner hadalok, you are allowed to use the lamp until you can estimate that the oil that you had put in originally would have run out even though it's all mixed up and it's all kind of being used the same. And you are allowed to protest that he should not light and that he should not put in oil. And if you protest and he does it anyways, then it's not considered to be for your benefit. It says in, right, it says in Yerushalmi, and if a non-Jew didn't ask you, but he lit in your house, the Jew does not have to leave the premises. Meaning to say, he can't kick you out of a room by coming in and saying, oh, well, I'm going to get you out of here by lighting a candle for your sake. Okay? You don't have to leave if they live. Okay. That is the tour. Let's see the Beis Yosef. Beis Yosef says as follows. So remember, he, there, so the, the tour added a halacha that we did not see explicitly in the Gemara. In the Gemara, all we saw in the Gemara was, right, that if somebody lights a candle for your benefit, it is prohibited for you to derive any benefit from. The tour came and slipped under our noses a very big chumrah, right? And I'm not saying Khumra like a Khumra that, that's going to be voluntary. Uh, who say We'll see where he gets it from. But he puts in a very big Khumra. What's the Khumra? The Khumra that he puts in is that it is prohibited not only for you, but for anyone to derive benefit from it. Right? And here is a fascinating thing. Why should this be true? If you recall... The problem of Amir La'akam, we said, is specifically when he's lighting it for your sake. Why should it make a difference if he lit it for some other Jew? 
He didn't light it for you. Why should you not be able to derive benefit from it? The Torah seems to assume once he lights it for one Jew, he made it trafe, right? You know, once he starts thinking about Jews, who knows what he's going to do. I'm kidding, right? right? Once he lights it for, for one Jew, it's a problem. But why? Logically, it doesn't, we can't, we can't see this in the Gemara. The Gemara is talking about a very specific case where he lights it for your sake. Okay, so therefore there could be a problem that it will start helping you ask a non-Jew for help or whatever it is, right? We're going to talk later about what the issue is of him lighting it for your sake. But the Gemara never says that it makes it into a chaticha de isura, that it makes it into a forbidden item that now nobody else should be able to derive any benefit from. However, the tour seems to assume this and state this very explicitly, and we don't know what his source is yet. So the Beis Yosef is going to try to analyze this now. That that the Torah says it is forgiven, forbidden for everybody, even for whom it was not lit. This is written in the words of Taisvis, the Rosh, and the Ran. And this is not following the opinion of those that say that this is limited to the Jews who was done for them. I'm sorry, give me a moment. Guys, this is unacceptable. There can't be any noise here. Sorry. Okay. Um, I'm trying to quell rebellion in the ranks over here. So this is the Tysus Rosh and the Ran, and, and they are arguing on what it says, right, on the people who disagree with them. What's their source? It's a Gemara in Beitzah, which we're going to cover later. That if something comes from outside the Tchum, now the Tchum means, right, that you have a, you can you can draw a circle with a radius of 200, uh, 2,000 Amos, I'm sorry, from outside a populated area, you are not allowed to bring things from outside that area on Shabbos. We're going to get much more into this question when we're going to talk about newspaper delivery and mail delivery on Shabbos. Coming from outside the Tchum is going to be extremely important to us. Okay? So the Gemara says in Beitzah, which we're going to see later, it comes from outside the Tchum. So the case over there was that if it comes from outside the Tchum, if a non-Jew brings you something from outside the Tchum, it is only forbidden for the person who he brought it for. As opposed to other people, it's going to be permissible. So therefore, it would seem that we have an explicit source in Talmud contradicting the assumption of the Tor and the halacha of the Rosh, Rat, and Taisvis, right? Because from that Gemara, it seems, it seems very explicit that that it's only a problem if the non-Jew brings it on your behalf, not for the others, okay? So the, the Beis Yosef says as follows, that v'tayma mishom didafka be'iser tchumim the Rabbanan Hitiru. He says, no, that the reason why over there it's more lenient is because the prohibition of Tchumim is a rabbinical prohibition. Since it's a rabbinical prohibition, we are more lenient by Amir La'akum. But when we're asking the non-Jew to transgress biblical prohibitions, we are stricter. 
the Haran Kasav Ait, and the Ran says in addition, even by rabbinical prohibitions, after the we are not lenient, except for specifically the prohibition of Tchumim. Why? Because it's not equal. And what do, what do we mean it's not equal? Because what is considered to be outside the Tchum for me, right? Could be inside the Tchum for you, right? If we are standing five, 500 feet apart, right? Then your 2,000 Amos extends further in one direction than my 2,000 Amos and vice versa. And therefore, it may be that the non-Jew brought it out of the Tchum for me, but not out of the Tchum for you. And therefore, since the application of the Isra Tchumim is never uniform, because it depends on each individual where they were standing, right, so therefore, they did not make this blanket prohibition for everyone by Tchumim, but by all other things they did. Um, if you brought it for the sake of a Jew, it is prohibited. So the Smag and the Sefer are Truma, right? And here's a very big stringency. Even if he hired the non-Jew to do this. And Helmut, this is going to be a very important discussion with regards to the person turning on the light on Shabbos in the union because he's paid for this, right? It's part of his job. But the Sefer Truma says, even if you hire the person, and this will get too much more, much more about this when we see the Magen Avram next week, even if you hire the non-Jew, and why, why should paying him make a difference? Paying him makes a difference because then we, we're not going to say he's doing it for your sake. He's doing it for his sake because he's paid to do it. Right? Does it matter that he's hired by non-Jews? It, we're going to get there. That's a very good question. We're going to get Like he's hired by the university, not, you know. Well, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm saying it's a good question. We're going we're gonna to talk about that. But as of now, we're saying even if he's hired, it doesn't make a difference. Right? According to the Sefer Truma, and this is not going to be similar to the case of sending a letter. Again, a case which, 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 uh, which uh, we which we will see soon, okay? Dishari bekatsats the hasam, we allowed over there where you hire, the hasam ain guf Yisrael nene, because the physical body of the Jew is not benefiting, right? He's not getting any physical benefit, and we're going to have to parameterize this, and we're going to do so in the Shulchan Aruch, because right now this is a very strange statement, right? But he says, Right, the issue is when we say guf Yisrael nene mi guf hashlichos that the body of the Jew doesn't benefit because when you send a letter, it's an indirect benefit as opposed to light or warmth or food, which is a direct benefit to your kind of physical being, which we're going to talk about what that means. Avol but over here, guf ha-Yisrael nehene mi Shabbos the body of the Jew is benefiting from the transgression of Shabbos, Hana'asis Bishfilo, that was done for his sake, V'chein Kasav Behagayas Ashri Biparakama, and this is also talked about in the Hagayas Ashri in the first parak. And we're going to stop here.
Okay, let's just recap quickly what we learned from the tour. The tour introduced a new a new concept that not only is it prohibited for you, it's also prohibited for if he did it for your sake. It's going to be prohibited for all Jews, even those which 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 he did not do it for. And also, we have from the Sefer Hatruma the prohibition that even if you hire somebody to do it and they're doing it to make their paycheck, it's going to be a problem. Vlad pointed out that maybe there should be a distinction who hires him, and that's a good point which we're going to have to kind of discuss later. And we also were introduced to this notion of guf nehene, that there's this idea that there's a distinction if your body benefits or not. And I want to just make sure I didn't skip anything else. Right. We also have the idea of the servant or maid servant that if they're doing something or if they are on a mission for you, even though they are deciding to transgress Shabbos for their own purpose to fulfill that mission, since they are following your directive and they're doing it for you, it's considered to be that even the tangential Hill Shabbos is going to be for your benefit. We also introduced a leniency that in a situation where there was already a light, and all the person did was add to it, that's going to be okay. But as soon as the, your light went out, or you can assume that your oil would have burnt out, it becomes prohibited again. We're going to get more into this later when we're going to talk about the concept of what's called Tosefes Hana, increasing benefit. All right? We're going to stop here, and we will... Yemir Hashem, continue next week. I am going to start posting these as MP3s onto Anchor, and I'm going to send out the Anchor link with the Mishnayas podcast and these classes, and there will be a general pod, you know, podcast link uh, later tonight. So if anybody has any interest in following the Mishnayas or whatever, uh, they will be available either tonight or tomorrow, depending on how organized I am with my life. What's Anchor? Anchor is a kind of podcast uh, site which enables you to easily make podcasts and uh, distribute them. All right. Advertising for mattresses, different mattress firms and all these things? No, no, no. I'm going to not get any payment. I have uh, not going to monetize. I, I don't think I'm that popular. All right. I'll see everyone.